Um, so we went from the long-term vision of gardening for our own food to a more immediate distribution of food groceries uh, from the store. And we're planning to merge the two this year into, into a bigger long-term project to make sure that our communities can still uh, feed each other. This is Wine, Women, and Revolution with your host, Heather Warburton. Hi, and welcome to Wine, Women, and Revolution. I'm your host, Heather Warburton, coming at you here on Create Your Future Productions. You can find us online at yourfuturecreator.com, follow us on all the social medias, and get us wherever you get your podcasts from. Today is the second episode in the series I'm kind of dubbing as the useful skills that kind of help you if society were to fall apart or just if you want to build power in your own community. And last time we talked a little bit about street medicine. Tonight we're going to be talking a little bit about food, which is really important. If you're going to build community power, you've got to be able to feed yourselves. So I've got two awesome comrades with me here tonight. They're from Great uh, the Great Foodscape and Mutual Morris. Welcome to the show, Renee and Teresa. Thank you. So let's start right off with what, what are your organizations? What's the Great Foodscape and what's Mutual Morris? The Great Foodscape was our idea to start organizing communities to be able to grow food uh, for each other, um, learning how to grow food, how to share with one another, building networks of people to do these things together, um, you know, inspired by knowing that industrial agriculture is is destroying our, our soil and, and very bad for the environment and um, not very good for our health. We wanted to target fresh local food and learn with our community how to do that. Uh, so we started up as a project to start educating the community and to share seeds with each other and to share tips with each other and to share food with each other. Um, and then COVID-19 hit and that kind of put a pause on it. We could see that food is still a pressing need, but it was more immediate need. So we started a mutual aid group, which was Mutual Morris, uh, to help people get access to groceries who were isolating at home or who were quarantined or who had lost their jobs and couldn't afford to buy food. Um, so we went from the long-term vision of gardening for our own food to a more immediate distribution of food groceries uh, from the store. And we're planning to merge the two this year into, into a bigger long-term project to make sure that our communities can still uh, feed each other. How many people are you feeding at Mutual Morris? About 600 or so people that we have delivered to, uh, some of them only once, some of them every week. Um, we have dozens of volunteers who do vo deliveries every day, Monday to Friday, and sometimes emergency deliveries on weekends. Um, I think on average, it's two to 300 deliveries per month. Um, wow, that's a lot of people you're feeding and you're probably not even getting a fraction of people that need it, but you're doing a massive amount of good. Are you supported by donations? We have a GoFundMe that we started, which really helped us to, to begin. We also have a PayPal account um, and we have uh, lots of donations that come in there. We have people that also collect items for us. For example, we also deliver things like diapers that people need. And so we have places that do diaper drives. 
food drives, different kinds of drives to help us collect items to distribute as well. Um, nowhere near touches the need that's out there. Um, it's always growing. We're getting new people calling every day. In keeping in line with the mutual aid philosophy, we also have a um, sustaining membership, um, which is $25 for allies. And we also encourage the people that are recipients of our food um, to engage with us at a $5 level per month. Um, and that allows for that mutual aspect of it so that it's not, you know, a charity, we're not just giving. Um, and then a lot of families actually will volunteer for us making calls, um, you know, networking within their communities as well. I was just going to say none of those things are required, yeah. but there are things that the families really understand that we're trying to build a community and they want to be a part of it. And that's that's really what's very exciting about moving forward this way. And yeah, what I was going to say was that this isn't a charity. This You're not a food bank, for example. You're actually trying to help people to empower themselves. And there's education, there's engagement. There's a whole lot of things that go into mutual aid aside from just distributing food, right? By, by example, the, the power structures in this country and, and you know, help people understand why so many are struggling right now um, and give them ways to, to learn for themselves how to fight back and how to stand up for themselves and how to take care of each other as communities. That's, that's the key thing for, for me personally is we can't rely on governments, we can't rely on charities, we can't rely on corporations, but we can always rely on each other. And that's really what we're trying to, to teach and to build. So what's, if somebody wants to donate or help you guys out, how can they find, are there is a, a website they can go to? There's a little bit of everything. Yeah, so there's, we have our website. We have our presence on all social media platforms. Um, we have a link tree as well that you can find the link on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and then we have the GoFundMe. Um, and then we also have personal PayPal and Venmo accounts that you can donate to that, you know, 100% of the proceeds go directly to Mutual Morris. Um, so there's a little bit of everything and all of it can be found. Um, I guess the best resource would be the website or the Facebook group or page. On social media, it's at Mutual Morris and the website is just mutualmorris.com. All right, that's great. And there's a lot of power that comes from being able to secure not just food for yourself, but culturally appropriate food for yourself mm -hmm. as well. Can you talk a little bit about that empowerment that people really get out of something like this? Yeah, so we, I mean, we knew this early on that, you know, people have different dietary needs, you know, based on, on what they eat at home. And we didn't want to be like the food banks where they give you cans of things that you may never eat, but you kind of have to because you have no choice. And in, in my life, I've been reliant on food banks for food myself. And I know what it's like to be given a bag and to take it home and find that there's really nothing that's, that's edible there or that's appropriate for you. Um, and so knowing the community and talking to the members of the community, we learn what it is that they like to eat. We also early on, um, um, were gifted with restaurant meals uh, for our families, which they all really appreciated. We delivered, I think, almost 100 restaurant meals in one evening, and they were grateful. But they said, we really 
would prefer to cook our own food. And, and so they didn't want that to be a regular thing. They want fresh food. They tell us they don't like canned food. They want fresh food. And, and so just, we just listen to them and we just deliver what it is that they need and that, and that they want. And, and yes, it is very powerful to, to know that you deserve to eat the food that you eat. It's, it's, you know, dignity and it's, and it's also health related to a lot of the stuff that you get in food banks is not necessarily very healthy. Uh, a lot of our families have health conditions and they have a lot of dietary restrictions that we have to pay attention to as well to make sure that they're, they're eating what they need to. Um, it's also important to note that when the families call and when we build these relationships with them, um, you know, nine times out of 10, they're asking for fresh produce. They want fruits, they want vegetables. And um, it's sad to see, um, you know, other places that are more charity oriented, giving so many canned foods, so many carbohydrates, things that they don't want. Um, but like Teresa said, they might feel like forced to eat it. Um, and so it's really important to us that we work with independent small groceries that we can support when we're placing those orders for the families. Um, and that are in the community and, yes. and sell the kinds of food that the communities need. We're so diverse. There's so many different cultures, you know, in New Jersey and, 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 but there's little markets that cater to all of those different cultures. Right. So it's really great to be able to meet them and find out what they eat and how to, how to get it to them. And I always think it's a privilege um, and really an honor that the families are honest and open with us about what they want. You know, that's that's insight into who they are and what they need. Um, so, you know, they don't, after they get to know us, you know, after a couple deliveries, you know, they kind of strip away that, oh, whatever you have, you can give us. And they start telling us what they really need. And to me, that's that's community and relationship building. And I'm proud that they trust us. Yeah, I think there is a, a quote. I don't remember who the quote's from, but tell me what you eat and I'll tell you, show me what you eat and I'll tell you who you are. You really mm. learn a lot about a culture or someone by seeing what it is that they prefer to eat and what mm. speaks to them. Because it's so, it's a part of you, right? Like food, mm -hmm. it's what nourishes you, you know? <laughs> right, absolutely. And once in a while, the families want to offer our volunteers something that they've made out of the groceries that we bring because, mm. you know, they treasure that relationship. So I wanted to move in a little more now and talk about sort of the gardening aspect that that's you unfortunately didn't get to do it as much as you wanted this year, but that's on the plans for next year. And I mean, that's super powerful having being able to grow your own food, not having to rely on some capitalist mm -hmm. endeavor to provide your food for you. So how did you guys get involved in that? How did we? Um, let's see. Um well, I've gardened before and Teresa's gardened before. And um, I think just the idea of food sovereignty was really interesting to me um, and the idea of sharing um, because we know a lot of people that garden and um, I'm not sure if you do, Heather. I think you do. Yeah, I um, do. What happens when you grow tomatoes in New Jersey? You get so many of them. So, so many like buckets full of tomatoes. And so we thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we took this idea of, of gardening and then this idea of community gardening, but we combined it and we made it really community sharing. 
So um, the idea of securing seeds that are organic, you know, as opposed to buying plants from a big box store um, that you can grow, you can share with your neighbors and you can save the seeds for next year. Seems like the most anti-capitalist thing that we can do um, in regards to gardening. Mother Nature gives gives food for free with with these seeds and these plants, and there's no reason why that should be controlled by people who have the money. Everyone should be able to do that. And I, I think it came out of a combination of issues that we were, you know, mm. dealing with low income communities. We were working with. Um, I was doing a lot of work on on environmental and climate change issues, learning a lot, you know, about our soil, um, and when I. I really, when I found out that we only have 50 to 60 years left of topsoil to grow food, that really terrified me. I think about all of the children that are being born today and what, how are they going to grow food in 50 or 60 years when we have nothing left? And I think Renee and I had a lot of conversations about this, this idea and it just sort of melded together that we all really should be growing our own food and we can grow food anywhere no matter where we live there's something that we can grow and our neighbor can grow something and then we get to know our neighbors too if we don't already so it really it combines so many things mm. um, and so yeah so we started um buying seeds from um you know reputable organic seed um what do you call them seed places <laughs> and um and we started um, hosting events and it was just place your order for seeds and we'll give them to you for free um, with the idea and the follow up of sharing them with your neighbors and, and interacting at, in a localized community. Um, and so that's what we did for, I guess, 2018 and 2019. Um, we really tried to do that and and we were relatively successful we had how many orders did we have placed at one point we had like over 50 orders that we were interacting with people and sharing seeds with um and yeah and then COVID happened right and COVID kind of turned everyone's life upside down but you know we're starting to roll out some vaccines now things are you know maybe there's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel and you know even though we're recording this now when snow's on the ground we still have snow down here I know you guys have a ton of snow up there but you know it's time to start thinking about spring and start thinking about what you might want to do if you want a garden or not. So let's say there's somebody who likes what they're hearing, but they have no idea what they're doing. They've never gardened anything before, or they think they have a brown thumb. They don't even right. know their neighbor. How do they get started something like this? The easiest way is just honestly to do it. Find something, one thing, just one thing that you really love, whether it's a, a tomato or, or a strawberry or something that you really love, read up on it, plant one plant, you know, and take care of it and, and learn from that. A lot of people try to jump in with a great big bed and they think they're going to be self-sufficient in the first year and they're overwhelmed and, and nothing really works. Um, so my, my main recommendation is to start small with one thing that you know you're going to eat and take care of and then just learn from that and go from there. Um, some things are a lot easier to grow than others. Strawberries, for example, are very easy to grow. 
uh, we've just ignored strawberry plants and they've still blossomed and given us fruits. So, you know, tomatoes are pretty easy to grow in New Jersey as well. Um, uh, I'd also encourage people to kind of go with, um, I, I always love to tell people to go with herbs and microgreens. Those are my go-to and you can grow all types of herbs and microgreens throughout the year. So I have them going in the winter. I have them going in the, you know, spring, summer, and fall. So those are plants that are very low maintenance. You know, you might water them once or twice a week. Um, and they're very fruitful. They're the, for me, they're the go-to and the easiest. Grow them indoors if you have a yes. sunny window. Yes, exactly. A lot of space. No. That was what I was going to ask is this, this isn't just for people that have a yard. There's plenty of stuff you can grow either in a window or if you have a patio, right? Something that we really want to tie in with Mutual Morris is the idea of um, windowsill gardens. So I would love to get families started on, you know, an herb garden in, uh, on their windowsill. Um, something that's simple that they can share with their neighbors you know, oh, I have a lot of basil this week or whatever it is. Um, just that to me would be really exciting. And to have the kids be involved too, to understand what good good and healthy soil looks like, what it means to take care of something. They might not have a yard, but most of the time um, they have a, a sunny window. Well, I guess that's a good question is what does good and healthy soil look like? If I just go out into my yard, it's kind of sandy and kind of clay. That's probably not the best. What does good soil look like? Soil looks like chocolate cake, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like brownies. Healthy, and we we encourage our families to do things like composting as as well because that helps to um, to restore your soil. Um, and we do recommend if you're going to use your soil that's in your yard that you get it tested um, first because it's possible that there could be chemical contamination. It's, it's a good idea just to, to test it and see what's in there. Um, you can also find out what kinds of nutrients it has and what kinds it needs. Um, we're big fans. I'm a big fan of raised beds um, and other kinds of, of growing that doesn't involve using your soil, unless you know that you have really good soil. Um, but raised beds tend to be a lot easier anyway to use, uh, especially if you have issues with bending down. Um, so there's... And, and in reference to the soil testing, um, you can actually get those kits at your town or your county office. Uh, most towns offer them for free. Um, so that's something that you can either look up on their website or just call them and they will have a soil testing kit. Um, and then for the soil that I use to grow the microgreens, I use a combination of compost and then potting soil. And what do you use for raised beds? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely the same thing. Yeah, for me, it's like... Um, three quarters potting soil and a quarter compost because the compost is so um how would you say that high in nutrients it's so rich that you really want to kind of cut it with something well let's talk a little bit about composting then like do i just take my food scraps and like put them in a bucket what do i do if i want to compost stuff <laughs> 
can. You can use different kinds of containers, but you want to mix it 50-50 with like yard scraps or, or paper uh, or other things as well. You don't want to just have it as food. And um, there's long lists you can look online of what food is best and what food is not best, mainly because it'll, certain foods will attract predators. You don't want to have things that, you know, cause scavengers to come in and make, make a big mess. Um, and then there are different types of compost, right? So there's the kind of barrel compost that, you know, is stationary. And then there is, you know, a worm compost, which is a lot of fun for me. Um, and then I guess you have those, you can build your own compost and then you have the rotating compost. Some places they have big piles. Right, um, right. Um, I know, I, I don't know if, about anywhere else, but I know in some place in Germany, they have big communal piles where people can just go um, and they're really just big, long piles of waste that are composting on some communal area, uh, which is really cool. I'd like to see that everywhere. Yeah, that's really cool. I've never heard of anything like that, but I'm going to be looking it up. That's another great community activity where you're reducing your trash by quite a bit. So you're not sending things off to the landfill and eventually you get free dirt from your neighbors. Right. And I, I actually recently read that one of the main reasons, and I don't know the science behind it, but one of the main reasons why you don't want to put your food scraps in with the rest of your garbage for the landfill, something about it creates more carbon dioxide. Is it carbon dioxide? Um, something about the layering of the non-compostable trash and the compostable trash is actually worse for the environment. So even if you have a pile in your backyard that you can just put your scraps in, it's better than putting those scraps in the landfill. Um, Again, I don't know the science. It's something about how it interacts with it. Um, so there are a lot of benefits to composting. So then I wanted to break down. You talked a little bit about strawberries and some herbs, but what's the best luck you've had growing something where you were just like, I don't know what to do with all of these things. And why was it such a success with that thing? Um, for me, I'm going to go back to microgreens, believe it or not, because I've never not been successful growing microgreens. Um, and um, the microgreens that I usually grow, what are they, Teresa? They're like broccoli shoots, pea shoots, um, and they're a um, highly, how do you describe it, Teresa? Highly nutritious they're just, they're just the, the babies of regular plants, but they're packed with nutrients. You just cut them off short when they're like a couple inches long and throw right. them in sandwiches and salads and things and, and a lot of flavor and a lot of nutrients. Now, I eat it as a salad. You know, I'll actually use the microgreens in as the base, the lettuce for the salad. Um, but yeah, you know, some vegetables and fruits are kind of hit and miss, you know, um, but I've never gone wrong with microgreens and I would encourage everybody to at least try it once because it's so so easy and it's so much fun I think tomatoes have been the big one yeah yeah um, tomatoes yeah I've always had a, a variety of different different colors different sizes different kinds of tomatoes and they usually grow very very well and what's um, something and that you pots usually mm -hmm. just in in pots I grow them 
And is there anything where it's just, I'm not going to bother growing this again? It never works out for me. Just New Jersey doesn't like this thing, or you just personally don't like the thing. Never. You keep trying until you figure it out. (laughs) At least for me. Yes, yes. Definitely keep trying. I haven't had much success with watermelon or corn, but I'm going to keep trying. It will happen. Don't you need quite a bit of land for corn? You've got a plant quite a few plants don't you it depends on what kind of corn um i tried to grow a a small i think it's called jade blue corn which only grows about two feet tall and it's designed it's not designed but it's it's perfect for growing in pots um i don't remember why it didn't i think it fried i think it fried it got so hot and dry it grew well for about six inches and then yeah. and then it stopped. But I think also that I was neglecting it at the time because that was at the same time that we were doing a lot of deliveries for Mutual Morris. Um, so I think it just it just got neglected. Um, but I'm going to keep trying that again, too, because there's so many different varieties of everything. And some varieties work better in colder climates or wetter climates or hotter mm-hmm. climates. Um, but if you really like something, just try an assortment of, of different varieties and see which one might work best. Um, most seed companies um, will tell you the information about this, the plant that you're growing. So it'll tell you, um, you know, what regions it grows best in. You can also find online resources. There's pretty much every community probably has gardeners that have a forum or a Facebook group or something where they talk about the kinds of plants that they grow and what works well. Um, so reaching out to those local communities can help a lot. Yeah, the fact that there's corn that you can grow in pots is kind of blowing my mind right now. Like, I never knew about this, so that's very cool. It's I did so not think beautiful. that was something you could grow in a pot at all. <laughs> it's so beautiful, and it's blue. Can you imagine eating blue corn, Heather? Come on. Yeah, that would be very cool. I mean, I've had blue corn chips before, so, but, you know, like, there I've never just go. had blue corn on the cob. That would be so yeah. awesome. <laughs> I know. It'd be totally badass, yeah. <laughs> so um, let's talk a little bit about watering. Like, is that something you've got to be really careful about? Or is can you kind of just, like, it seems like microgreens, kind of you can neglect a little bit, and strawberries you can neglect. But other things, you've got to be kind of finicky about them? Um, I think, like Teresa said, making sure that you read the back of the seed packets. It'll tell you everything that you need to know. Um, that's the only advice I can give you because everything is so different. Every fruit and vegetable is so different. I can't say one thing or the other. Did you have any tips, uh, Teresa? Uh, sorry, yeah. So it's, it, you know, it depends on the, the type of container you're growing in, the type of soil, the type of, of plant. So it's it's really important to understand the plant that you're growing. And that's why we say to start with just one in the beginning and really understand its needs it's like having a child, you know, you, you need to know if your child is allergic to certain mm. foods or, you know, what your child needs. It's really, it can be the same way. So do you have like a top, maybe three resources you can send people to if they want to, you know, investigate or get more information, maybe websites or community forums that you guys have discovered? I really like Seed Savers Exchange in Iowa. We actually went for a trip there to check out, um, um, their operations and learn a little bit about saving seeds and they have a lot of good resources and a lot of really great seeds on on their site that's my go-to 
Yeah, and then I would actually just echo what Teresa said. Um, almost every town that I know has a gardening Facebook page, and I would just join that and start talking to people. Um, and they usually can either share tips or share seeds. Um, and so, um, yeah, that, that would be my go-to. Find your town Facebook gardening club and then uh, get your heirloom seeds from seed savers if you can and i just wanted to throw out rutgers master master gardeners if you live oh, in new yeah. jersey oh, is totally, a great yeah. resource you can call them up with all kinds of questions like oh, i've got this fungus growing on my cantaloupe i don't know what it is and they can usually tell you what you're doing wrong and how to fix it so that if you live in jersey that's a great resource so I wanted to give you guys a chance for another one more plug for your website and how people can get involved if they want to get involved with either one of or both of your great organizations. Yeah, so we are going to be merging kind of the two and we're hoping that um, our volunteers and the families we deliver to will be interested in helping us start some seeds in the next couple of months uh, in their homes. We're looking for people to adopt some seeds that we can give away. Um, so mutualmorris.com is our website. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook with the same handle at mutualmorris. Um, we're always looking for volunteers, obviously always looking for donations, and we're always here to help if somebody in Morris County, New Jersey, is, is in need of any kind of assistance. And um, did you want to give the phone number just in case? 1-800-535-9383 is our uh, number to call if you are in need of help. It's answered by volunteers in either English or Spanish. That's awesome. So if you're in Mutual Morris or if you're in Morris County, New Jersey, and you need help, reach out to them and they'll try their best to get you guys hooked up with resources that you need. Because they're really, I know them personally, you know, I've been working with both of them for years now. They're both really awesome people. And now's the time to start experimenting with growing food. Like, we don't really know what the future is going to bring. There's a lot up in the air with catastrophic climate change and civil unrest. Who knows what the future is going to be like? So now we've got a little time to learn and experiment and play with growing food. So if things do go poorly in the future, you've got that skill set. So thank you guys so much for being here. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, Heather. To my listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we appreciate you guys being here. Hopefully you get something out of this new series that we're doing of all the skill sets that might just save your life if things go poorly. You know, these are things that you're probably not going to hear about that much on mainstream media. These learning these skill sets that really are essential if you want to build power in your community and not have to rely on some government that really doesn't care about you because they really don't care about you. Thank you so much for joining us. The future is yours to create. Go out there and create it.